0: I don't have my glasses on, just all the shore people leave. Get your Bibles out this morning. We're in Matthew chapter 12. I'm going to be preaching through uh, Matthew chapter 12. There's a lot of great stuff going on in Matthew chapter 12. Some what we're going to talk about this morning, dealing with legalism. Also, there's miracles in Matthew chapter 12. Also, there's principles. We're going to talk about the strong man. Remember the text in 12 that talks about the strong man has to be bound before the house can be spoiled. I have some principles there that I want to teach. So, God willing, we're going to be in Matthew 12 for a while. Uh, this morning, we're going to do verses 1 through 8. And uh, as you get there, I'm going to thank God for the word, and then I'm going to read it to you. Father, we, th- we thank you for the word this morning. We thank you that we can worship you, that you move in this place, that you speak to us, that you comfort us. Father, that we can have a real relationship with the living God. What a privilege that is. Holy Spirit, open up the word to us today. Quicken our hearts and our minds. Allow us to absorb these truths, not with just our intellect, but with our spirits so that they can change us from the inside out. Father, we ask all that in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. Matthew chapter 12, our first installment here, verses 1 through 8. At the time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, And his disciples became hungry, and he began to pick the heads of grain and eat. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples do what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. But he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he became hungry and his companions and how he entered the house of God and they ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for him to eat nor for those who were with him, but for the priests alone?" Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and are innocent? But I say to you that something greater or someone greater than the temple is here. But if you had known what this means, I desire compassion and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. Jesus having conflict once again with the religious leaders, the Pharisees, They were constantly troubled by him because he was a threat to them. We see what's going on here in the first part of Matthew 12 is that Jesus is obviously on his way to the synagogue, the place of worship. It's the Sabbath day. Jesus and the boys are walking through the grain fields on the Sabbath. Now, there's something that I notice about that. You know, they didn't stick to the roads. They cut through the cornfield. I like that about Jesus. Goes off-road, right? (laughs) Uh, and i can totally relate to that like if there's a sidewalk that i'm supposed to walk this way and this way i walk straight across the grass come on don't look at me like that i'm a la- a landscaper's nightmare you know it was a little shortcut and that's what jesus is doing here taking a shortcut through a grain field now if it's a cornfield if it's a grain field not really the the main point the point is that, you know, he's taking a shortcut here, and it's the Sabbath, and something happens here. Now, I want to say something about the Sabbath. The Sabbath was a big part of what it meant to be a Jew. The Jews did certain things that were different from everybody else, and it was to distinguish them from other people because they were God's people. So, for them to be doing certain things on the Sabbath was certainly part of being a Jew. And the Sabbath was very important to them. So the the accusations that they're going to be, you know, brought up against them here are not baseless. There's some truth into them. Keeping the Sabbath was, you know, something that God himself had instituted via the fourth commandment. It was a day of rest. Listen to what Exodus 20 says about the Sabbath, verses 8 through 11. God says this, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy For six days you shall labor and do all your work. How many think six days of work is enough? Amen. I'm lobbying for a three-day work week. Verse 10, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your cattle or your resident who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth the sea and everything that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. For that reason, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So God himself instituted these commands about the Sabbath that his people, the Jewish people, had to adhere to. You could work for six days, but on the seventh day, you would rest and commune with God. Now, how many of you understand it's important for all of us to take a Sabbath? It's a principle of restoration. We work six days, and then that seventh day, we rest and commune with God. That's why we're here today. That's why we're worshiping together. That's why we're receiving the word together. When you go home today, I encourage you, spend time in the word, spend time with your family. Amen. 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 And what happens when you do that, when you honor God's instruction? He refreshes us, amen. I've learned a long time ago, I get more done in six days if I honor the Sabbath than if I work seven days straight. Amen. So these, these contentions here are, you know, not completely invalid. But notice what's happening here. Jesus and his disciples were walking through the grain field. And what? They were hungry. Uh, notice how your belly can get you in trouble a lot of times. Come on. Your, 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 your desires uh, to, uh, you know, take care of your flesh can get you in trouble a lot of times. Your appetites. Come on. And get you in trouble a lot of the times. Now, I'm not saying that these guys did anything wrong, but I find it interesting that it was their hunger that caused them to do this that provoked the Pharisees. And we need to think about our appetites, we need to think about what we're hungry for, we need to think about the positions it puts us in if we're restrained, uh, if we're in control of our physical body, or if we're driven by the lusts of our flesh. Here, are these guys who are walking through the corn. They're walking through the grain, and they're hungry. Now, in verse two, I find it uh, a little interesting. Here, it says they became hungry and began to pick the heads of grain to eat. But when the Pharisees saw this, now let's just stop right there. When the Pharisees saw this, I mean, if it was a cornfield, how how tall are cornfields? Come on, anybody ever walked through a cornfield? 10-foot stalks, I mean, you can't see over, so, you know, you've been in a corn maze, you got lost, didn't you? Where did the, how did the Pharisees see them? What are they, stalking them? These guys pop out of the bushes, they're hiding in the hedgerow, and the Pharisees saw them. And you know what, there's something to that there. You know, the, these people were always watching Jesus to, to find something that they could nitpick at to confront him because he rubbed them the wrong way. So here they are. They're walking through the corn, and the Pharisees see them. You know, they're watching them with binoculars. You could see them out there. Oh, Judas is going through the money bag again. Peter looks a little gassy today. Oh, they're eating the corn. Come on, smile a little bit. It's good for your face. They're watching them, and they're kind of just stalking them. And the religious people were always looking for an opportunity to question Jesus, to come at him, to criticize him. Their contention was... You guys are picking corn or you're you're taking the wheat and you're eating it. If you know anything about grain, if you go into a grain field that's ripe, you can literally just take the head of grain off, put it in your hands, smack it together, rub your hands together so the chaff comes out and eat a handful of grain. My wife is from Saskatchewan. My father-in-law is a cattle rancher. He grows acres and acres of wheat. We've been in wheat fields, canola fields, where he's told me, just grab a handful of that, take some canola, smack it together, and just have yourself a little snack. You can eat the grain. You know, it doesn't just come in a cereal box. For you city slickers. So they're out there, and they just helped themselves to a little handful of corn. And that seems to be the contention for these Pharisees. Would you say that's a little bit nitpicky? What all of these verses are trying to show us is the nitpicky, legalistic, foolishness of legalism. And these guys are like, well, they're doing what's unlawful on the Sabbath, and they got a little point, but really, is it work? All you're doing is taking a little snack. Don't tell me, Mr. Pharisee, that you don't feed yourself on the Sabbath day. Come on, hypocrisy, nitpicky religiosity—you know, just trying to find fault. Their contention was, well, you're picking corn and that constitute work, and that's working on the Sabbath, and you guys are lawbreakers. I hope we're seeing the foolishness of legalism and how petty it is. There's two things I want you to remember about religious people. Uh, number one, they're always watching. These guys were apparently, you know, set up a sting operation in the corn patch. They're watching for Jesus. What is he doing, right? Reli- you say, why is that? They got nothing better to do. No, they got nothing better to do than try and find fault with other people, especially Jesus. We're going to look at that in a minute. But religious people are always watching. They're watching you. Oh, you go to Full Gospel Center. You're, they're watching you. Oh, you're the pastor. They're watching me. I got to be careful where I spit. You know, anything you do, it's amazing. People who are totally disrespectful to me, you know, don't recognize spiritual authority, anything. If you do one thing that they don't like, and you're a pastor. People ever do that, and you're a Christian. Now, that just encourages me to dig in harder. I don't know about you. But these guys were watching, and religious people are always watching. And you say, well, why are they watching? Because. Our liberty in Christ offends them. Did you catch that? See, if you're in Christ and you're under grace and your sins are forgiven and your eternal destiny is settled, religious people are annoyed by all those things because they got to work and they got to strive and they got to do things and they got to perform and they got to be better than everybody else and they got to find fault with others to justify themselves and your liberty offends them. So they're watching and they'll judge, and they're nitpicky, and they're not going away. You know what's behind all of this? They're really unhappy people. Because religion makes people unhappy. Rule keeping makes people unhappy. Some people think, well, we we go to church, we're religious. No, we shouldn't be religious at all. We should be all about relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen? We're not under the law. We're under grace we have liberty, we have freedom, and it's exhilarating to to just be free. All things are lawful for us. Amen? Wow. These guys were mad. They were like, well, if we have to keep the rules, you have to keep the rules. Do you ever notice that about religious people? They're mad they have to keep the rules themselves. So if you don't keep the rules, then they're mad. What it, you know, what was said to them before, that, you know, Peter said when the new Christians were coming into the church and Gentiles were getting saved and the Jews were saying they got to keep the laws of Moses, and Peter said, why would you want to put a yoke on them that you couldn't keep yourself? You couldn't keep all the rules. You You want to put that on them? Why? See, people who are unhappy keeping rules and regulations to please God. I want to project them on everybody else. So religious people are always watching. Number two, religious people are experts at two things. One, they're experts at enforcing the letter of the law while totally missing the spirit behind the law. Do you know there were 10 commandments and the, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the lawyers and all that wrote volumes of books on how to interpret and apply the Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments, you could fit them on tablets. Now we have the whole, you know, this big encyclopedia volume set. of well, how to to apply this and how to do that? How not to do this? And it became very, very legalistic. And the Pharisees were the best at this. They were the the top tier rule keepers. And they thought quite a bit about themselves. Do You ever notice religious people are very impressed with themselves? No, ever meet any religious people? You're looking at me like. Once I, I was talking to a person that was newly saved, and they were sitting next to this old, crusty, religious person that had been church since they were a fetus, you know? You know the, and this person, they began to sing. The person w- who was that old, crusty one was playing a hymn on the piano, and the new convert began to sing, and the old, crusty stopped and said, singing hymns are only for the redeemed. wow, and when do you get redeemed? And how do you get redeemed? And who are the redeemed? It's pretty ugly, isn't it? So, you know, we're seeing the ugliness here of this legalism and the foolishness of it, and we're realizing these guys are experts at enforcing the letter of the law, but it's the spirit of the law we have to understand. Let me show you an illustration of the difference between the letter and the spirit of the law. It's illegal to cross a double yellow line on the road, isn't it? Anybody ever drive a car? (laughs) Anybody ever stay in their lane? John. You're not supposed to cross the double yellow, right? But let's say you're driving down the road and a little kid comes out on the road in a bicycle and you got to swerve out of your lane not to hit the child. You know, the legalist would say, well, I'm just going to hold my course and send that big wheel into the bushes. But the person who understands the spirit of the law will swerve and spare the child. Why? Because the purpose of the yellow line law is not to stay in your lane at all costs come hell or high water, squashing every squirrel, rabbit, and child on a big wheel. No, the spirit behind the, 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 the law is to make it safe for people on the road, to make it safe for drivers. If you've ever been to other countries and see the way they drive when they don't follow any of the rules. It's amazing, we were in Guatemala, it was like a free-for-all. Unbelievable, buses flying and passing and people coming down the center of the lane and who just went, you almost went off a cliff and then if you get into an accident, no insurance, they take everybody to jail. So understanding the spirit of the law and the letter of the law is vitally important, and the Pharisees didn't. They were all about the letter of the law. They would have stayed in their lane and not crossed the double yellow because that would have made them a lawbreaker. They're also experts at bending the law to suit their own desires. Do you ever notice some people, when, when the law applies to them, they try and bend it so that they can get around it? Come on, the Pharisees, religious people, are experts at this. They will bend the law to, you know, make it fit them. And when they had to play loose with the law so that it would accommodate them, they would. And when they had to get really strict with it, usually when applying it to others, they would. And Jesus actually called them on that in Matthew 5 during his Sermon on the Mount. If you go study the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, you're gonna see Jesus. Kind of, you know, he, he, he corrects the Pharisees, he corrects the legalists for playing loose and fast with the law when it suits them. But here in this instance in Matthew 12, they're actually applying it in a strict sense so that we can, they can be nitpicky and find fault with Jesus. We have to be very careful the way we apply the rules. With most people, there's one set of rules for them and another set of rules for everybody else. And that's hypocrisy, and it stinks in the nostrils of God. The, the Pharisees didn't care. They applied it strictly to others and loose and fast to themselves. So they were experts at enforcing the letter of the law. They didn't understand how to apply the spirit of the law. And because of that, you know, God was you know, trying to get them to understand how the hypocrisy of the way they were conducting themselves was actually driving people away from the Lord instead of to him. Now, Jesus responds to these guys by giving them two Old Testament examples that proved it was the spirit of the law, not the letter, that was most important to God. Now, notice these examples here. In verse 3 and 4 of Matthew 12, Jesus says this. But he said to them, now listen to this. Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? Uh, First of all, he starts off by asking them, Hey, guys, you ever read the scripture? Come on, you're dead out there. (laughs) He's asking these religious, nitpicky know-it-alls who thought they knew better than everybody else, and they knew the word better than everybody else, and they knew everything better than everybody else. Did you guys ever read the Bible? What a dig! You gotta, you gotta pick up on Jesus here. He just threw a jab out. He just, you know, he just popped him right in the like. Yeah, you guys ever read the scripture? You ever, you know the law, you know the prophets? You remember that time when David, when he was in need and he was in trouble? You know, when he went into the house of God? You, you know, remember when Saul was trying to murder him? Saul had that same murderous spirit that you guys have. You guys want to murder me, don't you? You know, Jesus says, I know what you're thinking right now. Uh, we're, we're, we're in conflict right here. This is a heated conflict here. Seems really docile on the pages. But this was a clash between two kingdoms the kingdom of light and righteousness, and the kingdom of darkness and religion. Wow. So Jesus starts off by asking him, hey, guys, ever read the scripture? Ever hear this story about David? Well, let me, uh, let me read it to you from 1 Samuel 21, 3 through 6. It says, now then, What do you have on hand? This is David speaking to the priest in the holy place there. He says, give me five loaves of bread or whatever can be found. The priest answered David and said, there is no ordinary bread on hand, but there is consecrated bread. If only the young men have kept themselves from women. David answered the priest and said to him, be assured women have been denied to us as previously when I left and the bodies of these young men were consecrated though it was an ordinary journey, how much more then will their bodies be consecrated today? Verse 6, so the priest gave him consecrated bread, for there was no bread there except the bread of the presence, which was removed from its place before the Lord in order to put hot bread in its place on the day it was taken away. So David receives the consecrated bread that was only lawful for the priests to eat. Why? Because the spirit of the law was that this righteous man, David, who was fleeing from a jealous King Saul, needed these things to preserve him. And God was willing to bless him with that, even if it bent the rules a little. Are you getting this? So there's the first example there that, you know, it's the spirit of the law. It's not the letter. Uh, one thing that came to mind when these guys were walking through the field, first, first thing I thought you know, it's like, uh, whose corn is this? Or whose wheat is this? You know, if you walk through a farmer's field today and you just start picking his corn, I I know a lot of farmers that wouldn't take that kindly. So are these guys stealing a snack from Farmer Joe? Are they just taking, you know, their liberty? And come to find out that there was a law in Israel that was uh, penned in Deuteronomy that would, you know, was actually justified this type of behavior. Look what it says in Deuteronomy 23, 25. When you enter your neighbor's standing grain, wow, exactly what they're doing here. You may pluck the heads of the grain with your hand, but you are not to use a sickle on your neighbor's standing grain. So there's a law in Israel where, yeah, you could take a little snack, you could refresh yourself in your neighbor's standing grain, uh, you know, if you're hungry, but don't bring your John Deere tractor and start to harvest the guy's grain because that's stealing. But you can do a little bit of this and you can take a little bit. And that was just to, you know, preserve the sense of family and unity and graciousness in Israel. So these guys weren't breaking the law. They weren't breaking, you know, they weren't violating the farmer. Jesus goes on to give them a second example uh, from Scripture. Uh, here he says, Or have you not read, see, in case you guys, you know, uh, don't study the Bible and just go around bothering people all day, let me just clue you in on to this. Have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple desecrate or profane the Sabbath and are blameless? What do the priests do all day long on the Sabbath? Come on, they work. They work all day long. And the people tease me, you're a pastor. You only work on Sunday. Yeah. You know, there's work to be done on the Sabbath day. And what do the priests do? They're, you know, they're offering sacrifices. They're doing prayers. They're doing all of what goes on in the, in the place. And they're working really hard all day long. And, and that's a violation of the fourth commandment. But God doesn't hold it against them. Because God understands it's necessary. Because the spirit of the law is, in its application, is more important than the letter of the law. You're looking at me out there. What if you came to church today and and, you know you got here and the worship team said we're not playing today, it's work. Or you know it's time for the sermon and Pastor Rick sits here. (sighs) Not working today. Gonna take a nap. No. Yeah, there's things that have to be done on the Sabbath day. And I'm working hard. Some of you still won't smile. There's things that have to be done. Thank God that, you know, we have first responders on the Sabbath day. You, you know, be, you're laying out in the street, the ambulance ain't coming. <laughs> Sir, can you last till Monday? No, I can't last till Monday. Pe- people have, and so understand in the application, it's not the nitpicky. This is how it goes. Stay in your lane. Don't cross the double yellow. Hit the big wheel. No, it's the spirit of the law that people are more important than religious rule keeping. So Jesus gives them two examples, and you know, at this point, they are thoroughly aggravated with him as he's implying they don't know the scripture, and he's giving them little Bible lessons here because obviously they, they don't know. Have you not read? Oh, these guys, you know, it seems docile on the paper here, but they're steaming at this point. Uh, The priest would violate the Sabbath. It wasn't held against them. Uh, There are certain things that violated the Sabbath that people were found innocent of. Why? Because it's the spirit, not the letter. Verse six through seven, Jesus drops a couple truth bombs on them that are gonna constitute blasphemy in their eyes. I want you to see some things about Jesus. He doesn't pull punches. He doesn't miss his words. He doesn't put a spoonful of sugar on it to make it go down easier. Now, I'm not saying we should be like that all the time, but I'm saying there's sometimes you just have to say the truth in love. And people got to do with it what they want. Oh well, I can't say that. I know the Bible teaches that, but it's not politically correct or it's not popular. Let's say I'm a, a, a hater or a racist or a, a, a this or a that, whatever label they want to stick on you. Sometimes we just got to tell the truth in love. All four of you, amen, amen. Well, I will work with the four. And and Jesus just kind of drops it on them, you know, that he says, yet I say to you that in this place, there is one greater than the temple. Whoa, that was enough to set them on fire. Amen. What are you saying, you son of David, you carpenters kid, you crazy knucklehead with all these disciples that you've gathered? Look at this rabble that you have around you. We've been watching you. We know what they do. And Jesus saying, one greater than the temple stands here. Wow. Now, at this point, he's just kind of needling them, insinuating that he's greater than the temple. Now, I'll tell you why this is a big deal. If I said to you that all of you in this place today, including me, are more important than the building we meet in, would you agree with that? Amen. Because we are the tabernacle of God. We have Christ in us, the hope of glory. We have the Holy Spirit in us. The building we meet in is just a building. Now, we're thankful for it. We use it for the glory of God. Great things happen in this place, but it's just a building. You're the church. This is the building. But in the Old Testament, it was different. You see, they didn't have Christ in them. They didn't have the Holy Spirit in them. If they wanted to experience the presence of God, they had to come to the house of God. So the temple or the tabernacle or the synagogue or whatever it was, that was the place that contained the presence of God. For Jesus to say, I'm greater than the place that contains the presence of God, was to equate himself with God or put himself above their traditions and customs. Wow. And that was a no-no with these guys. In fact, that would set them off into a murderous rage eventually over blasphemy because in their eyes, what Jesus was saying, that he's greater than the, you know, the temple that holds the presence of God, who does this guy think he is? It was very different in Israel at that time. Uh, Jesus knew what he was dealing with when he dealt with these guys. Uh, Remember when Jesus was brought before the high priest, one of the charges were against him. Listen to mark fourteen and there arose certain uh, a certain uh, to bear false witness against him. so these were the charges against Jesus. One of them was, "We heard him say, "I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and on the third day, I will build another made without hands." So there again, Jesus and his you know uh, his saying that he's greater than the temple, was a serious issue with this, with them that followed him to the point where when they were charging him, that was one of the charges they brought against him. So Jesus is opening up a can of worms here. He knows that it's going to follow him to the cross, but he doesn't shrink back because he tells them the truth. And sometimes the truth has got to be said. Do it in love, please. More than one person. Do it in love, please, this section over here. No, I'm just gonna say it like mean and just pound my Bible and rah. Come on, you win more people with love and mercy and grace. You win more people with humility. Hey, brother, hey, sister, that's sin. I'm sorry, but it's just sin. I struggle with sin too. We're both sinners. Let let me take you to the foot of the cross and we can pray about it together and God can deliver. You know, we've gotta have humility. Amen, I know, John. I'm a sinner, too. We should never forget that, especially when we're trying to help others find the Savior. So here's, you know, the situation is unfolding here. And uh, we see that the false charges that are brought against Jesus. So this whole idea of him equating himself as being above the temple, something that's going to follow him to the cross. In verse 7, Jesus responds to their unspoken indignation and their murderous intentions he knows what this is stirring up in them and he highlights the fact that not only don't they know the scripture but they don't understand how to apply the scripture he said says this listen but if you had known meaning you don't know if you had known what it means i desire mercy and not sacrifice you would not have condemned the guiltless. He's saying, guys, not only did you not know the scripture, you don't apply it correctly. And you know what? If you did understand it and apply it correctly, you wouldn't accuse my disciples of breaking the law. So there again, this is building up here. I want you to see what's brewing below the surface. Jesus is really going at them at this point. Now, what he does here is he quotes Isaiah 6.6 which says, for I desire mercy and not sacrifice and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. What is God saying? What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, I don't want your rule keeping. I don't want your religiosity. I don't want your nitpicky judgmentalism. What I want is a relationship with people. That should excite us today. Because if he did want us to keep the rules and do it perfectly and uphold the law, none of us could do it. But he says, no, I don't want any of that. I, I, I want a relationship with you. I, I don't want, you know, sacrifice. I don't want animals and, and parts and burnt offerings and this poured out and that poured out and this, this sacrifice made. I would rather just have a relationship with you. Do You realize the God of heaven and earth wants to have a relationship with you. He wants you to sit at his feet and listen to him and allow the word to come alive in your life. He wants to speak to your heart every day. He wants to commune and connect with you. But God, I went to church. God, I read my Bible. God, I did my devotions. God, I did good works today. I walked an old lady across the street. Jesus says, that's great, but I would rather have you spend some time with me. I got some things to say to you. I want you to know how proud I am of you. I want you to know how much I love you. I want you to know you need to avoid these certain things because the enemy has plans to snare you. All of these things are learned at Jesus' feet through relationship. Don't think because you call yourself a Christian or you come to a Bible-believing church or you, you know, do your religious activities or you show up at church that, that you know, that's all God has for you. He has so much more than that for you. Amen. <laughs> So it's not about burnt offerings. It's not about sacrifices. I I desire mercy. I want relationship. Hey, guys, you're being nitpicky, and it's really embarrassing here. It's more about having a relationship with God than keeping the rules. Verse 8 becomes the final provocation here as Jesus, you know, kind of winds this down. He says, for the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Now, to us, that sounds perfectly fine because we get it in hindsight, But to these guys who looked at him as the carpenter's son, this guy just spoke blasphemy that was deserving of death. Wow. High tension situation going on here. For the son of man, that's what Jesus liked to call himself, is Lord of the Sabbath. Wow. What does that mean to us today? We understand he was dealing with the Pharisees to shake them up, to get them to see their hypocrisy. But it's too late for them. They're dead and gone. What does this text mean to us today? It means to us today that Jesus is Lord over everything. Jesus is Lord over every area of our lives. He's not just a Sunday, Wednesday Christian experience. No, he's either Lord of all or not Lord at all. Jesus is Lord over everything. He wants us to do what we do for the kingdom of God, not out of obligation or a sense of duty, but out of a love relationship with him. I I knew a man when I was a young man, and he was a good man. I can't say that again, but you get the idea. And I remember asking him, are you doing this on this certain day? And he said, no, on that day I have religious obligations. And remember the way he said that and the way he puffed himself up. And even as a young man, I could see, wow, that's the wrong reason to do anything for God. And come to find out he didn't have a relationship with God. In fact, now in his older years, as I stay in touch with him, he, he, he expresses his doubt and his disbelief, and we don't know what happens when we die, and all this stuff. And, and, and I saw that, you know, that sense of religious duty or religious obligation really just testifies that we don't have a relationship with God. God wants us to have a relationship with him. That man that I know needs a relationship with Jesus Christ so he can lay down that rule-keeping and the obligations and the sense of religious duty and just enjoy getting to know Jesus. Now, I want to close with this. Legalism looks pretty ugly when we pull it apart here on a Sunday morning and we see it displayed in the lives of religious people who didn't have a relationship with God. But I want to say this to all of us today, me included. It's possible for us to start off serving God relationally and then slip back into legalism. It's possible for us to start off serving God relationally and then slip back into legalism. You know... So easily we can become legalistic in things that we do at church here at Full Gospel Center. We can become legalistic about our worship. We can become legalistic about our giving, about our devotional time, about our prayer lives, about our church service, about our attendance. You know, if you and the Holy Spirit shows this to me many times over the course of my Christian walk. You know, there's times where we're doing it, but our heart's not in it. There's times where we're going through the motions but, but our heart's not engaged. We're not doing that in relationship with Jesus Christ. We can be out there worshiping on the worship team that decided to work on Sunday and they're playing the song. That was a joke. And, you know, we're worshiping God, but really we're just singing the song and we're enjoying the beat, but our heart's not connecting with the Lord. There's times where I've come up to give my giving and I'd already decided what I'm giving and I calculated and I throw it in the plate and I say a little prayer, but my heart's not engaged. And I, I remember one time the Holy Spirit said, what are you doing? you doing that out of duty? you doing that, did you do that by math? Are you doing 10% or is your heart connected? Son, did you ask me what, what you should give? Wow, see that's what's going on up here at the plate. We can become legalistic about, you know, our devotions. Well, I read my two and a half chapters today and I prayed for 7.5 minutes and I'll be through the Bible in a year. That's not, that's not the point of devotions. You know, this little religious goal. I've read through the Bible. I've heard people say, I've read through the Bible 17 times. And I was like, wow, and you're still proud. <laughs> Maybe 18's a charm, I don't know. Read it again. See, we can become legalistic about everything we do. Even though we love the Lord, even though we know the Lord, even though we're in a Bible-believing church where the Holy Spirit's moving, we have to guard against legalism. God wants us to do everything out of a love relationship with him. And if we're not doing it out of that, we're better off not doing it. Like, well, come to church because it's my religious obligation. You should, st- you should stay home. Wow because then missing what the body of Christ has to offer and missing the presence of God and then missing the move of the Spirit would draw you back with the right heart. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Father, today where we have started off relationally and we've become mechanical or legalistic, Father, we repent today. Would our worship be pleasing to you? Would our hearts be engaged in our worship and our praise? As we read the word, would we do it not with the goal of understanding scripture or memorizing verses, but with the goal of having a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ? When we give, Lord, would we do it out of a sense of relationship, bringing our hearts before you, not just doing math, but saying, God, what would you have me give? God, everything we do, let it be out of relationship. Let it be to fulfill not the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.